Hi, I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable, high-speed internet. Today, I'm joined by Brian Hurley, Chief Regulatory Counsel for ACA Connects, which is a trade association representing small and medium cable providers. ACA Connects recently released a bead funding framework providing a national analysis of how far broadband infrastructure funds from the federal government's $42.5 billion bead program will go, as well as a state-by-state breakdown of how those funds can be used. We discuss some takeaways from that report and what it reveals for certain states, and we also talk about some policy priorities for ACA Connects in the lead-up to bead funds being allocated this summer. Brian, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. So uh, why don't I just give you a moment to introduce yourself? Uh, tell us uh, what you do at ACA Connects. Sure. Thank you, Nicole. Um, my name is Brian Hurley. I'm Chief Regulatory Counsel for ACA Connects. Uh, those who are unfamiliar with our organization, we are, we're a trade association. We represent uh, smaller and medium-sized uh, broadband providers. We have about 500 members. Um, largely operating in smaller markets and in uh, rural areas. So they are uh, providers that are uh, well-positioned uh, based on where they serve uh, to participate in, in the BEAD program. Absolutely. So um, that's what we're here to talk about today. ACA Connects not too long ago put out a report uh, on the BEAD program. It was a, a framework to, uh, for bead allocation, bead funding allocation. We should, of course, just briefly say that the bead program is the $42.5 billion uh, broadband equity access and deployment program. Um, and we're expecting bead allocations from the NTIA on about June 30th. But in the meantime, your organization, along with Cartesian, has put together a report that sort of breaks down uh, what you all believe, based on a model that I'm sure you'll talk to us about, um, is the funding allocation per state and how that should all uh, sort of come together uh, at the end of the day. I'll let you explain it much more eloquently than I just did. Um, I'll just mention as well that my colleague Jeff wrote about the report when it first came out, but you and I are going to get into some some specifics. So um, in the meantime, why don't you just give us a bit of a high-level understanding of what you all set out to find out and, and what you uncovered? Sure. Um, so we really put out this report as a resource both for uh, the states, state broadband officials and NTIA, the, the, the officials that will be um, administering the program and handing out the money, as well as for um, our member companies who are considering, you know, whether to participate in the program and, and sort of evaluating uh, their options. So, and, and, you know, when this program, you know, first came out, when the, when the Infrastructure Act was, was passed, um, you know, at the end of 2021, you know, we, we observed that this is a an unprecedented uh, program in terms of the amount of money uh, that's being uh, allocated for, for broadband deployment, the $42 billion. Um, you talk about once in a generation opportunities, and this is, you know, this is a clear example of, of that. Um, it's also a, a somewhat unusual structure, just that we have a, a federal agency, um, not the FCC, but NTIA, uh, that's sort of charged with administering the program and allocating the you know the different funding amounts among the states and territories. But then it will be the states and territories themselves uh, that will be actually um, awarding the grants um, through through competitive processes. And you know we know that different states um, are in different places in terms of you know whether they have existing uh, structures in place, broadband offices to to um, to, to you know handle this. This new responsibility um, and those that didn't have, you know, have been need, needing to staff up. Um, other and even uh, even states with existing offices, I'm sure, are, are bulking up as well. 
Yeah. Uh, so, you know, as states start to, to, to think about this, you know, how they're going to award this money and, and sort of what the process will look like, you know, we thought it would be helpful for them to have just a sort of a rough framework and a sense of sort of, of, of the scope of this, how much money, you know, each state is going to get, kind of the different ways that states could use that money in order to, you know, fulfill uh, the purposes of the, you know, the statute and, and, and NTIA's guidance. Um, and then also, you know, for our member companies out there, they could kind of see, get a sense of, oh, in my state, the states where I serve, how much money are they going to get? How many unserved locations, you know, are there, are there, are there going to be and, and, and so forth. So, yeah. So um, tell us a little bit about the model that you all use to, to get at your results as well. Sure. So, um, you know, so there's actually kind of two components to what we put together. There's a, a, a model for uh, the allocation side. So how much money is each state going to get? And then there's kind of the, uh, the award side, sort of how far does that money go um, in, in each state? Um, and they're certainly related, but they are kind of distinct um, sort of um, pieces to this. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to, you know, looking at, at how much money each state is going to get, um, there's a there's a formula that's actually prescribed in the statute uh, where there's there's kind of three components to it. Each each state and territory will get a sort of a minimum amount, um, and then there's a, a portion of the funding that is allocated based on the share of of high cost unserved locations in each state, and then there's the largest chunk is based on the total uh, share of of unserved locations right. in in each state and territory, um, and so. We set out to estimate, uh, you know, to estimate how much money each state was or territory was going to get, sort of following through that, you know, that formula. Uh, the minimum allocation is kind of straightforward, uh, but then in terms of estimating numbers of and then estimating the numbers of, of unserved locations, um, we, we had done a, a previous version uh, of this framework back in the fall where we we used the uh, the best available data at the time, which was the the Form 477 data. We we did an update earlier this year. Um, after the FCC had released for its sort of uh, first version of the of the FCC location specific uh, broadband map, so we use that to identify um, unserved locations. Um, and then working with Cartesian, they have sort of a proprietary model they put together to try to estimate uh, high cost gotcha. locations. And sort of putting that all together, we were able to estimate the you know the amounts each state and territory would get. Okay, cool. So before we dive into um, a few specific states, is there anything sort of high level about the the nation overall that you all uncovered in terms of how far this bead funding is going to go or otherwise? Sure. Well, uh, both in our initial analysis and in the updated uh, framework that we put out earlier this year, uh, we, we came to the conclusion that um, that their funding that that has been allocated through this program will will be sufficient. We think it will be sufficient to to achieve the, the the program's availability goal, and to um, that there's enough money available to bring broadband to you know to all eligible locations, and that most states and territories should have um, enough money available to to bring fiber uh, fiber to the to the home broadband uh, to to all or virtually all un, uh, unserved and underserved locations that are below an extremely high cost threshold. So there will be locations above that threshold, the really hard to reach areas where, you know, you may need to bring in another technology fixed wireless, uh, yeah. but below that threshold, that there should be enough money for, for in most cases, for, for locations to, to be, um, to get fiber. And then when they 
NCIA issued their um, their guidance, their notice of funding opportunity for the program. They there was a clear fiber preference yeah. uh, built into that. So, and we think that's sort of the, the best technology, the future proof technology. Uh, we should be maximizing, you know, fiber deployment. So we were pleased to to be able to reach that conclusion. Awesome. So I want to talk about maybe like three or four states. Um, what you all found, um, I. I selected three or four states that I think are interesting to look at for a variety of reasons, um, starting with California. It's a big state. It also has uh, its own fiber focus through its broadband plan. It has plans for open access networks. Um, and, uh, you know, it has also a lot of the problems, that uh, same problems in its urban centers that other other cities have with uh, competition and, and affordability and stuff. So curious to know what you found uh, for California. Um, sure. So, um, you know, in our um, sort of in the the present, you know, the study that we put together, we sort of mapped out kind of going down the line where, how much you know each state was going to get. Um, I'll just say far and away, Texas was the state that that came out. Um, we that, can talk about Texas first because they're on my list. So, you want to start with the the biggest uh, <laughs> the well, biggest well, recipient? Sure. Um, you know, Texas. Um, you know, on our list, Texas got, um, we estimate Texas would get about uh, 3.5 billion um, of the 42.5 billion. It's it's far and away the yeah, most yeah. that any state would get. The next second in line is Michigan, and that's just under 2 billion. Um, so I guess Texas, it's both a big state geographically and a populous yeah. state. So it kind of, you know, um, it works I think out. That they were way. also the last to say they would participate in the program <laughs> as well. So <laughs> notable. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> Go on. Yeah, and so for for Texas, you know, as well as for you know for um, all of the states that were um, in territories, we we not only have this sort of national level framework that we that we put together, but we also have a. Um, we did sort of a, a state or territory specific framework for each state where we basically went through in detail and showed, you know, here the number of, of eligible, um, you, you know, the number, the number of locations that, that are both unserved and underserved. Um, so that, and then the amount of money each state, you know, is going to get. Um, and then sort of we mapped out kind of different possible scenarios for, for spending that money. So we have sort of a what we would call a, a baseline fiber scenario, where basically you, you, you deploy fiber to every location that's um, at, at or below that, that extremely high cost threshold. Or, and then there's also what we, what we call a, a maximum fiber scenario, where you, you try to maximize the amount of fiber, which you know, includes even, you know, even providing um, fiber to serve locations that are, that are above that, yeah. um, that threshold as well. You know, and in Texas specifically, um, you know, we, 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 under, under the, the baseline fiber deployment, um, you know, we found that, that 85% of the, of the locations could, could be reached, um, using fiber. Um, and that would, that would leave, um, approximately, uh, about a billion, but $1.4 billion would be sort of left over for, for, um, other uses. Okay. Um, and then under what we call our maximum fiber deployment, ninety-nine uh, percent of the locations would 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 get fiber, and that would just about um, that would uh, uh, max uh, use up all of the all of the available funds for Texas. Okay. And, and for each state, it's a different, um, you know, analysis in terms of of. of you know, how far the, the money can go. Okay. I mean, that's really useful. It sort of gives them options to consider. 
Exactly. And we, and we know that each state is, is going to be different um, in terms of their priorities. Some states sort of, um, sort of luck out more than others. One of the, one of the factors um, is, is basically the share of underserved locations that a state yeah. has. So those are locations that are eligible for funding. So the state has the responsibility to, to fund those, but they don't, they don't factor into the allocation. Okay. So if you have a higher percentage of underserved locations, then they're going to have more of a, uh, of a burden in terms of locations to serve, but you won't get as large of a, of a share of the money. So that's just sort of one of those um, um, just contingencies that, that has had, you know, has some impact. Okay. So that, okay. That explains. So the, the funding has to go toward unserved completely. And then if they have leftover funding, they can address underserved. Correct. Correct. Right. So that would, you know, potentially push them toward the 80% fiber model versus the 99% fiber model if they wanted to also reach underserved communities, correct? So the the, the, the numbers I gave um, would, would uh, provide service both, would cover both unserved and underserved oh, in that, okay. that particular okay. scenario, gotcha. yeah. Oh, great, okay. All right. So um, anything else notable about Texas? I mean, you mentioned $3 billion. Does, do you have the number of actually underserved um, commu- uh, locations in Texas based on the map? Okay. So there's, and probably this may be a good point to, to clarify. So there's kind of two different calculations. So when you're calculating the amount of money that is um, going to be allocated to each state, mm-hmm. you look at, it will be based on, you know, um, NTIA has, has announced that it's it's intending to make those allocations by by June, uh, 2023. So it'll be based on sort of the the information they have, you know, the, the mapping data yeah. that they have as of that point. Right. Um, we use the November data, the November oh, okay. map for our data. Um, we, we've you know we, we understand that 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 could change and, and that these, these figures will will need to be adjusted. Um, but that's the um, you know sort of the basis there. But when, when, by the time we get to the point where the states are um, actually awarding funds for for projects, uh, they'll be using both a different uh, you know a different set of maps. And in the in the interim, there will have been additional deployment um, of you know just private investment you know private you know, sure. build out of broadband based on private investment. Um, also, states will um, you know take in, we expect states will also take into account. Uh, locations that don't don't actually have service today, but there's an enforceable commitment to provide service um, with with a, a government funding, right? So, um, capital so projects, capital projects like fund, for for example. So, uh, in other words, the share of locations that will actually the share of unserved locations that will actually need will actually be eligible for funding will be will be smaller than um, the locations that are the, the the pool of locations that are used to make the allocations of, of the awards from, you know, Got between it. States, so. Okay. So before I get back to certain states, then are you all planning to update uh, this framework again, uh, based on the new information that's coming out this year? We're planning to t- take a look at the new information that comes out and sort of continue to try to keep our, you know, okay. keep our information up to date. I mean, at some point, you know, once NCIA actually makes the allocations, then it, you know, <laughs> the utility yes. of that <laughs> becomes diminished and, um, but we're, we're certainly going to be can keep looking at the, the new data that comes out and, and making sure that we're you know giving giving the best guidance that we can to states. 
All right, cool. Let's uh, continue on our tour of the country. And since I shouted them out already, tell me a bit about what you uncovered for California's numbers. So California, um, you know, of course, California, um, the, the most populous state in the country and also one of one of the larger states. Um, it's certainly on if you kind of line up the states left to right, most, you know, getting most funding to least funding. They're certainly pretty close to that left hand side. I think they're the eighth the state that gets kind of the eighth most amount. So not not at the very end, but they're they're getting a healthy um, amount. And we, we've estimated about they would get about one point three uh, billion um, and, and maybe it's worth just uh, level setting seven hundred and forty three million is our uh, average sort of for among the states and territories. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, so they'd be getting about you know a little less than twice the 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 state territory average, um, and they would need to use that um, with that money. They would be um, bringing service to. Um, 143,000 unserved locations and 126,000 underserved uh, locations. Okay. Um, and what's their high cost threshold? So the, so the high cost threshold that we used um, was the, what, what we did, we, we came up with a common high cost threshold for, for all the states Okay. Um, of, of $3,000. Per location, and essentially what we did is we tried to estimate what would be the maximum amount a provider would invest and, and expect a reasonable return on that investment within it within a five year. We used a five year window, mm -hmm. um, and we ended up we ended up getting to about three thousand per location, um, and and within the bead program, um, provider providers are are expected to give a at least a twenty five percent match on top of the bead funds. So we estimate that um, if you take into account that $3,000 provider match, that the actual high cost threshold is 12, would be 12,000 um, per location. So that includes $9,000 of, of, of bead funding and uh, the $3,000 um, provider match. Okay, gotcha. Um, all right, I wanna take you to one more state before we get too jet lagged, um, Alaska yeah. is of interest to me because it's uh, pretty hard to reach um, yeah. and has sure. a lot of issues. So how much are they getting hopefully? And uh, what, what does that deployment situation look like from your end? Sure. So so based on, on our uh, estimates, so Alaska um, would get 319 million in, in funds okay. uh, and they would, they would have uh, about 38,000 unserved locations and 16,000 underserved locations um, with which to, that that money would be used to, okay. to bring service to. All right. And we, we see, we see that going the, the whole way in Alaska. We, 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 under our estimates, that would be enough um, to bring uh, broadband to, to all locations under our, what we call the baseline fiber um approach and under that okay. under that approach 67 percent of, of the locations would, would get fiber um but all 100 percent of, of the locations would be would be served okay cool all right so um let's uh taking a step back from going state to state for a moment you kind of talked about this a little bit before it sounds to me like the you're, you're all using this now to go work with state broadband offices and, and help your your members right gear up for bead 
Absolutely. That, that, that was sort of our, our, when we, when we initially rolled this out last year, um, you know, we thought there, there were sort of two key audiences, uh, uh, constituencies. We wanted to help our members um, who are considering, you know, kind of whether to participate. Um, they also have a broader interest in making sure that the funds are, are spent efficiently and, and not wastefully and that they're not used to, to overbelled locations where, where services are being provided. Um, and then also to just help uh, state broadband officials just kind of navigate this this uh, bold new uh, uh, you know, task yeah. that they've been assigned. And then also just to bring the two together. So we, we've kind of talked about how these, you know, this framework can sort of be our, our members, you know, sort of foot in the door, sort of their, their calling card to go in and, and meet with states and have have, a, have something constructive that they can present and say, look here, we've done some work here to try to, to help you kind of analyze this, the, you know, the program and kind of how much money you're going to get, how you can, you know, how you can use it and kind of get that dialogue um, going. And that's been yeah. a, an important thing we've, we've been stressing uh, for our members is, you know, they, that they need to, to become uh, good friends with their state broadband offices. And, and, um, and this is intended to be a way of kind of helping them uh, sort of you know, make that connection. Yeah, for sure. You're equipping them with a great resource and super helpful information for state broadband offices that are strapped for great resources. And uh, I'm sure we'll take any help they can get. Um, final question slash questions for you. I'll kind of tie them together. Policy questions. Mm -hmm. um, I was at the ACA Connect Summit a couple of weeks ago. Great event. Um, nice Thank to be in Washington, D.C. Um, and I, I know um, one of the concerns the organization has is about the affordable connectivity program mm -hmm. potentially running out of funding next year yeah. if it doesn't get refunded uh, soon. Um, so wondering um, from your end uh, how much these numbers that you all came up with are dependent on that program continuing and and then just an add-on question to that is, I, I know that uh, there was, as you mentioned, there's concern about overbuilding with this program. Um, I also heard your executive speak to their concerns about states using their own broadband maps once the grant funding is distributed. So talk to me just about your advocacy in general um, for the next couple of months leading up to the distribution of, of BEAD. Sure. Um, well, we'll start with ACP. Um, you know, that's been a great, a, a fantastic program. I mean, it's impressive that we've been able to get I think it's almost 17 million households that are, that are enrolled in the program as of, you know, in such a, a relatively short um, amount of time. Uh, we have over 300 of our members that are participating in that program, and that includes some very small uh, companies who've had to, you know, climb a number of hurdles in order to, to be able to, you know, just get the, the, the processes in place and, and all of the, you know, the customer training and all that. So it's, uh, but it's been a great program um, to, you know, provide a, a mechanism for, for lower income households to be able to you know, maintain their, their broadband service. And especially when broadband has become such a, you know, taken on such increased importance and, you know, the wake of COVID and, and so forth. Um, you know, and of course, the, in some ways, ACP has become kind of a victim of its own success. <laughs> that uh, we, when, it, when it was when it was created, I, I the estimates were this will last the money will last four years, five years, something like that. Um, the, the latest estimates I've been hearing is sometime early next year or early to middle next year. It, you know, there are different estimates out there, but the point is the money you know is expected to run out sooner uh, than originally anticipated, and and um, you know we're hopeful that a um, you know, a long-term um, funding solution uh, can, you know, can be found yeah. there. Um, as far as how it intersects with the BEAD program, so it shouldn't, ACP shouldn't, whether it continues or what happens with ACP, shouldn't have any effect on the allocations, like how much money each state 
gets because right. that's just based on this framework and it's all about you know numbers of, of un, you know eligible location unserved locations when it comes time to, to sort of administer the the grants it, there there's a couple ways that you know there, there's some intersections there so you know under the the guidance from ncia uh providers participating in bd receive bd grants are expected to provide a, a low income uh service offering um, I think that's actually in the statute, and yes. um, and NTIA, you know, kind of provided further guidance there. Um, but you know, and, and so ACP kind of fits that mold pretty well. And without, in the absence of ACP, that that certainly changes, you know, kind of how how providers would limits the options providers would have for for meeting that that yeah. obligation. Um, you know, it's also the the availability of ACP subsidies. You know, could certainly make participation. More attractive for some providers if that that fun, you know if they know that that funding source is available, so that their households that you know in these unserved areas that they wouldn't otherwise uh, be able to afford broadband, that they'd be able to, to to receive it, and the provider you know would be able to um, to, to to get compensated for that. So yeah. that so the absence of ACP could have an impact on providers as they're evaluating whether to participate or what their bids are, and you know there are a lot of variables there. So it, you know, it could it could could have some some downstream um, you know impacts there. Yeah, presumably uh, to make these areas, these unserved areas, um, attractive for providers where people maybe aren't using getting service because it's not uh, a capital friendly environment for providers to get involved in. Presumably, the ACP would be a, a particular benefit in. In those areas, and you might get fewer bidders if, if it's not available. Um, okay, I'll let you answer the second half of my question. Yeah, and you'd asked about sort of broader advocacy. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, we've certainly been, uh, you know, hopeful and trying to do our best to, to um, work with NTIA in the states to, to have a, a bead program that's, that's favorable for our members to be able to compete for funds and to participate. But I think the even more fundamental concern is just to make sure that the money is spent in, in a, an efficient and, and uh, you know, fiscally sound way that doesn't, you know, that we're not, you know, we're not spending federal dollars to bring service to areas where providers, including our members, have already, you know, invested private capital, uh, you know, to bring to bring service. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, one one area where we've been focusing on on that point is is in the context of the uh the state uh challenge processes so at once ntia you know allocates the funds um the states will, will sort of come back with their initial proposals for how they'll you know award the money and and one of the things they'll have to do is um conduct a challenge process basically allowing parties to challenge the status of of locations as uh, as either you know unserved or underserved yeah. And we're concerned that if that process isn't sort of properly bounded with, you know, we have some, some guardrails there and if states are sort of bring, you know, bringing in or allowing parties to bring in kind of data, kind of any, you know, data sources from all places, you know, or in, into that process, that that could be an avenue that would introduce the possibility for, for, for overbuilding, you know, for, for fun, for locations that are, that are served, and that have gone, you know, where they've gone through that, you know, they, they, they've gone through the FCC mapping process, these are served locations, then they get sort of switched over to un, unserved, and then money's, you know, going to those locations. Um, you know, just 
you know, states are all doing kind of their own thing, and it's, you know, there's there's no common baseline of of um, you know a sing, you know using the FCC map as kind of the baseline for for identifying eligible locations. Yeah. Uh, we're just kind of concerned about those potential impacts. So, how are you hoping that gets worked out through some sort of NTIA rule clarification, or do you need to see legislation? What what are you pushing for? We have we've had great great dialogue with NTIA. We've 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 talked with them about our concerns. We we did file a letter uh, with uh, Assistant Secretary Davidson where we we kind of uh, laid out our concerns and and um, stressed the importance of, of you know having states have have some consistent you know processes in place for how the states you know go about right. this. Um, you know, and we're also you know we also. As this proceeds, you know, with the different states, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll be working with our members to, you know, to kind of um, engage there as well. So, gotcha. Okay, and I think um, Doug Kinkoff, who spoke at the summit, did. Uh, did indicate that there will be some more guidance coming for states on how they can use. I guess that data and such. So we'll be looking out for that. Um, I think I can I can set you free now, Brian. Thank you so much for taking us through this report. It was really awesome to talk with you about it. Thank you, Nicole. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you again, Brian, for joining me. Thank you as well to our producer, Pierre Landriel, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>